Welcome to Adventures in Leadership, the podcast where we explore the connection between adventure and leadership. I'm your host, Bruce Huff. Life and business is full of the unusual, the exciting, the unknowns, risks, and ambiguity, all of which define adventure in this journey of ours. In each episode, we'll take a deep dive into the lessons and experiences that can be gained from adventuring beyond our comfort zones and taking on new challenges, and how we can apply those to life, leadership, and business. Join us as we hear from business leaders, experts, and yes, explorers and adventurers who have leveraged their experiences to develop the skills, the resilience, and mindset needed to be effective leaders. So grab your gear and buckle up. It's time to embark on a journey of personal growth, inspiration, courage, and discovery. Let's get started. This is a a podcast that examines uh, leadership from the perspective of those who adventure, those who find adventure in leadership, and uh, those who find just adventure in life. We find that uh, adventure doesn't have to be going to the North or South Pole. It can literally being a parent, right, Charlene? Uh, (laughs) Amen. We would like to introduce Charlene Wells. We've known each other for many, many years. Um, Many of you, of course, recognize her from her days as the um, Miss America winner, which was a proud moment for all of us in Utah. It was was less than 100 years ago, but... You know what? You look like you could still wear the, you know, the the sash, Charlene. Uh, I'm not going to go through a big bio. I'm not going to go through a big bio because what we're going to do is probably talk about some of those experiences that you've had through your life as we talk about uh, where the risks were, where the uh, uh, the unknowns and the ambiguity occurred in your career that really uh, define what adventure is. And and then tell us a little bit about how that informs uh, your leadership style today and, and how it did during your career. So, first of all, um, let's start out at the very beginning. Okay. You had a kind of adventurous childhood. I you, did. You grew up outside the United States uh, for a large part of your, your growing up years. Tell us a little bit about that. I did. And you're so right, Bruce, that really set the tone and the foundation for everything else. It, it, it just did because I was born in Paraguay. Most people don't even know where that is. And then I moved to Northern Argentina. I'm a little girl there and, and a sister's born there. And then we moved to Ecuador and I'm what, three or four. And then we moved to Mexico. And then uh, I was seven when we moved to Salt Lake city and we were up uh, in Salt Lake for about four years. And then, and I, Bruce, I didn't really acclimate too well. I didn't. It was so strange to be in a homogenous community <laughs> that it was just really hard for me to feel like I belonged, even though I looked like everybody else. It just didn't feel, I don't know, it was it was a little bit hard to develop friendships. Plus, I was really shy. And um, so then when we moved down to Chile when I was 12, and then over to Buenos Aires for most of my high school years, those were really the years where I got to experiment and learn how to get outside of my comfort zone. Because my comfort zone was very much about being a wallflower and 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 don't um, test 
uh, the the opportunity of failure. Just you know, if you don't try, then you're not going to fail. So good. <laughs> and I was I was really comfortable there. And but I learned a lot of lessons in that high school down in Argentina about getting outside of that comfort zone. Yeah. So there were a couple of things. First of all, um, learning the language. Uh, you know, being part of the culture. Uh, as you said, when you moved back to Salt Lake as a young girl, it was like, ah, this is strange. It didn't really uh -huh. seem to fit for you. Then you spent your really the the um, most formative years of your life, uh, you know, in, in Argentina. Tell me a little bit about what, tell us all a little bit about what that felt like in terms of being sort of an American in Argentina. And, mm -hmm. and especially as a teenager, um, where everything is sort of like the most important thing ever, right? So how did oh that work? Oh my gosh, right? I was constantly, as I look back on it now, I was constantly navigating, trying to identify who I am because I'm an American um, in Argentina. I'm going to a school where people are from all over the world and they bring their own cultural traditions to the table. And so I'm with best friends who are observing Ramadan. And, and then, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to navigate, well, what, what do I believe? Who am I in this whole international picture? And then I moved to Utah and I'm trying to navigate, again, my own identity within that in, in a number of different ways, whether it's from religion to family, to culture, to uh, politics, all these different things, but but to inform all of that, I have a, a a world of options, right? Because I grew up in South America and because I grew up around an international um, a set of friends. And so it felt like to me that everything was on the table because, and, and that can be confusing too, right? It's sure. like, oh, the, wow, where do you, I start? You now have a buffet. You have this buffet Huge of choices, buffet. right? Yeah. yeah. And I remember meeting friends up here who grew up in one place. And I was so jealous of them because I'm like, you have one place, roots. You have roots. You have friends you've known your whole life. And, and I have friends for one year, friends for another year, you know. And at the time, I remember being so jealous of, of people who knew their friends their whole lives and been one place. Now, as I look back on it, that set me up for the rest of my life to be able to adapt to anything, right? Because That's interesting. I, had to. I love that, that <laughs> idea of adaptability when you think uh -huh. about adaptability in one's life, but in leadership as well, right? I mean, it's, that's, that's the thing. Can you be uh -huh. adaptable? Can you pivot? Can you, you know, oh. if you're stuck in one way of doing things, you know, in this day and age where the world changes uh -huh. minute by minute. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that's forbid. an overlooked trait. I, I do. An overlooked trait and skill set in leadership that um, that really sets people apart. And I'm constantly finding, and uh, this will say a lot about, about where I am right now with, um, with, my, with my current job, which I love, but I'm working with a lot of younger um, professionals. And they see me pivoting all the time because that's what I do. I pivot. You know, this isn't working. I'm going to pivot. We're going to find something else. I'm going to keep on tweaking and pivoting until I get to the, to the right 
formula, the right, you know, and I've done that my whole life and they see it as chaos. And so I've, <laughs> I've had to go, let's see, how do I make it not look like chaos? <laughs> but that's, that's how I've survived from career to career, all different kinds of careers and, and making sure that you perform at the highest level in every single career, but it's about pivoting and, and, adapting to your situation you have to it's really interesting because you'd normally think that the chaos would occur with our our gen xers and our youngers right, right? and <laughs> and 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 uh, you're young but i'm just saying seriously yeah you but you're the senior vice president of marketing right. and communications and it's like wait a minute she's all relations. over the map yeah. and you're saying yeah isn't that exciting that's part uh, of it you yeah that's be. what a great what a great thing oh. to teach those that you have responsibility to <laughs> to steward, though, about it's okay not to uh -huh. be right the first time. Right. Right. It's okay to you've say. You've got to constantly be trying things. Mm -hmm. It's that continuous improvement that we always talk about when we talk about manufacturing. But yeah. what about everything else that we do in a business setting? I mean, or in our own lives for that. Right. Oh, well, yeah, okay, I high school. That, oh, I was just going to add, um, I really believe in a dynamic comfort zone and that it's, you don't just develop it and now it's there, it's perfect. No matter what age you are, young, old, whatever, if you're not constantly growing that comfort zone, it's shrinking. It's not just staying put, you know, based on well, what I did 30 years ago. <laughs> and I like to tell, you know, clients and others that, um, you know, the best thing you can do is learn to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yeah. Because that's it. That's that's our life today. I mean, we are, uh -huh. and I'm not saying it's just today. I think back, you know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, we had these same uh -huh. situations. We we always talk about the rapid pace of thing today, but you know, oh, yeah. it, it maybe the pace has changed, but it is a lot of these things have never changed in terms right. of being being able to take a risk and do these things. And you oh, came yeah. back uh, out of high school, then you you moved back to Utah. Is that right? Mm -hmm. um, it was heading into my senior year that I moved back to Salt Lake. What a time to move. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you spent your senior year in Utah? My after... Yeah, Skyline High School. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was, I, I mean, I, I had some good friends. I am so grateful to the people that accepted me because right at first I was like, I don't know where I belong. I don't know what group I'm in because my friends in Argentina were so diverse that when I then come up to a very large high school, this diversity is now manifest in separate groups, cliques, right? So right. now I'm like, which, wait, which clique do I belong to? <laughs> I don't know. So that was yeah. very interesting. Maybe if you're like me, you you didn't belong to any of them. Uh, right. You, kind of, you made <laughs> friends with the, you know, back in my day, it was like, there were the, this is going to really age me, but there were like the hoods. Uh, uh -huh. There were the jocks. There were, and it was kind right. of fun to be friends with all of them. And you weren't really totally part agree. of their group, but uh -huh. everybody, you got along with them all. And it was sort of interesting, you know, and, and yeah. uh, I don't know, that, that was because I grew up in a small town. So you grew up yeah. in a cosmopolitan environment. I grew up in a very insular, very small town. And, uh, you know, you just kind of, of <laughs> yeah, there. Well, you you should have been because I grew up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, on the lake. So yeah, you, you no. should be jealous of that. With a boat. But, <laughs> but yeah, that's right. And I, in Ooh. fact, I just restored my dad's boat that he bought in oh, 1965, oh, oh. So and cool. it is so cool. 
Anyway, enough about <laughs> me. Um, so you're back. You go to high school here. You graduate from Skyline. And like you say, that was like such a big change for you to come out of this multicultural environment. Uh, just very, very uh, international to, as you said in your first statement, pretty homogenous environment. And, uh, you know, we get that. I think, you know, the state is changing quite a bit. I think we're at about, um, what, about 18% Hispanic in Utah now. I mean, it's almost uh, to 18%. We're still yeah. 1% Black. One. Yeah. <laughs> so. <Yeah. laughs> There's a lot that can change. But it's interesting because more yeah. of the corporations are recruiting from outside the area, right. become a, the number one uh, job destination for many corporations who have right. major facilities here. So, but yeah. so you went to college uh, after high school. That was kind of in the in the cards. Mm-hmm. I went to BYU um, and uh, studied. You know. On, I was, I was the average student trying to figure out what in the world I'm going to do when I grow up. And I actually went to BYU initially for piano performance. My mom was a concert pianist. So I didn't know anything else. I'm like, what am I going to be when I grow up? I guess I'll perform piano. And I had my first piano lesson and my teacher said, um, okay, I need you practicing five hours a day. And I went, oh, Oh, I don't do anything five hours a day. I'll get so bored. You didn't start taking piano until you were in college? No, no. That's what he wanted me to practice. Oh, okay. I was used to practicing two hours a day, max. Okay. Well, that's right. So you you played from five hours a day. Yeah, I started when I was very young. Yeah, my mom started all of us on that. So, So that very quickly shut down my piano performance career. And then I'm like, I don't know what else to do. I, I got into um, communications because that's really what most kids that don't know what they're going to do, <laughs> they'll drop into communications. And then uh, after Miss America, I didn't want anything to do with being part of the news. I, yeah, I did but not let's have don't a good skip, relationship. Let's don't skip over Miss America oh. so quick. I want to <laughs> know what it was that motivates someone to do the Miss America pageant. What what, was, what what were you thinking at that time in your life? What was you were yeah, how old? What was going on? Um, so so I didn't grow up watching it. So that wasn't something that, oh, ever since I was little, I've got to do that. I've got a four-year-old granddaughter that might be thinking about that. She's wearing crowns all the time. And I didn't <laughs> have anything to do with that, I promise. But that was not something I grew up with a ball. I was like, I was back in the old days. They called me a tomboy. They don't even do that anymore. It's awesome. Girls just go out and have fun with their soccer balls yeah. and whatever, you know. So, um, but my wife, she was the tomboy. Yeah. Yeah. And so I didn't grow up thinking about that, uh, but I did grow up with a lot of music and learning how to perform and uh, just being pulled in. I was never really the star. I was a good low alto. So good low alto is, you know, blending in with the choir. And every now and then I'd get pulled out to, to perform solo, but, but very rarely. And it wasn't, I never, I have, um, auditioned for four different school musicals, never got a part. I was always in the back. So, and I was totally fine with that. I thought that was so fun. Um, but what happened was that uh, I went to Girls State. I don't know if you're familiar with that program. Love that went to program. State. Yeah, great. So you know that I love that program. And then I, um, then as you know, then they have different uh, 
offices that you run for. And I ran for Girls Nation Senator and I won that. So I went back to D.C. Anyway, um, a, a lady came up to me after I was giving a speech and she said, I want you to be in the Utah Junior Mist program, which is just for seniors. And it was anyway, I was in that and earned a lot of scholarship, I, a cash scholarship. I want to say it was close to twenty thousand dollars. And uh, so that goes a long ways when you're schooled, right? And yeah. so I was 18 and my mom, um, I guess by the time I was 19, she saw, this, I'm at, down at BYU and she saw this ad for Miss Salt Lake Valley as part of the Miss America program. And of course they highlighted cash scholarship. Well, I already had a really great experience with cash scholarship and I'm like, I'm, I'm in, you know, I don't know. And, and the only thing okay, that so was- So just to be clear, it was really all about the money. No. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Cause I already knew what that did. I, you know, I knew the words cash scholarship. I'm like, that means you can do whatever you want with it. Music textbooks, uh, room and board. Um, it paid for a, um, a computer. So back in the old days, it was the big box computer. It was really cool. Um, so it paid for a lot of stuff, everything for school. Um, so my mom suggested that uh, I balked a little bit because I did not want to do a swimsuit. And then she came back and found out that in Utah, Utah was the only state at the time that did not have swimsuit um, on stage during the performance. It was it was judged in the afternoon and it was just Definitely. part of the group mm -hmm. thing. So I went, OK, I'll do that. And then next thing I know, I'm on national TV in a swimsuit. I'm like, wait a minute. That wasn't the plan. And, and with a <laughs> with a Paraguayan harp, I think, wasn't I'm it? I'm playing a Paraguayan harp. See, that's when I learned the power of differentiation. Yeah. Right. I could have played piano, but then I would have been one of maybe 20, 25 pianists, right? Mm -hmm. And and I thought, you know, I can make this. Uh, I had only been studying the harp uh, five years, um, but but a lot translated from piano and the arpeggios that you use with piano translated a lot to the to the harp. So I picked it up pretty quickly, um, and it was a differentiator. And I had earned a lot of cash scholarship using the harp as part of the junior miss program. Going back to American Junius. So and I that love the like fact that I love the fact that you pick up on the idea of differentiating yourself. Certainly in marketing, that's a key aspect. Right? I think even in, in any leadership uh, role that you take, part of rising to a leadership position, uh -huh. for example, is really differentiating yourself, right? It's it's saying it oh, is that person, that person knows how to make decisions. That person knows how to motivate people. That person knows how to, uh -huh. or, or demonstrates those abilities. So they, you know, right. rising to leadership positions and and actually developing leadership capacity really is deciding to be different and differentiating yourself. Uh -huh. So that's a, and that's you're a so right. It's lesson. about deciding. It's deciding because if you don't decide, other people will decide for you, right? So it's like you get to decide how I want to be differentiated and which are the ways that, and it does take some strategic thinking. You know, what are my skill sets, which is hard for people to look at their, look at themselves. And so that's why at times it's really good to ask other people, tell me what you think are my skill sets. How do you think that I am differentiated from others, especially in a leadership setting? And, and then, yeah, you really focus on those and, and really set yourself apart. And that, that was a great lesson that you learned that you maybe didn't even think you were probably thinking strategically. I could be one of 50 or I could be, you know, really unique. Uh, uh -huh. And then in your later career, you know, the idea that you've proven that differentiation actually worked for you. 
uh-huh. you were able to continue on. By the way, how was it? You were a year as as Miss America, right? And right. was there any standout moments there where you kind of go, man, that's that really did, did make it worthwhile besides the cash yes. scholarships? Besides the money, right? Um, because that year I made $150,000 on top of the scholarship scholarships. So that was that was really good. But what stood out for me, because I was such a President Reagan fan, and so I got to go to the White House, spend some time with him in the in the Oval Office. Uh, my parents were there. Senator Hatch helped to facilitate that. So that was that was so memorable. And you're right. It was a very difficult year. And so I have to look at those nose nuggets because I was on the road. I was in five cities a week. It was 250,000 miles that year. And I never unpacked. And that takes a toll. It's really difficult to you know, this life, um, you know, where you have to perform, whether you're on stage or not, you're performing, you know, at, at a four hour yeah. dinner, you're on, um, you know, it doesn't matter where you are. People are asking for autographs. You can't, you can't treat them disrespectfully just because you feel bad, right? Cause you're tired. You can't do that. I learned my lesson because I did that. Like one time I was tired and I didn't, give the due respect. It was, um, it was a young man that wanted my, my autograph and I, I gave it to him, but it was a little begrudgingly and, and I got called on it. Somebody sent me a note and said, you know, you rolled your eyes after you turned away. And, and I said, you know, they're right. I can't do that. They, I have to treat every single person with respect. And just because I'm tired or I've, I'm so done with it, that doesn't matter. So that was a huge lesson for me that I'm always on, but it also taught me that I've got to find a way to get myself off somewhere and give myself that time to recharge because I'm a natural introvert and I need to recharge <laughs> by myself. <laughs> so, so just real quick, not to belabor the Miss America thing, but you had to have a chaperone during that entire time. I right? did. I did. And, so, and there were two and so, chaperones and they alternated months. Okay. Yeah, you didn't get to alternate, but they got to alternate, right? Right. So they got a rest. <laughs> I didn't have a backup. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. So did you, the reason I ask about that is that I just wonder how that that relationship formed. Because one thing about leadership is, is creating good relationships. In, in fact, I think it may be one of the seminal skills of, of good leadership is, it is. is forming good relationships. and. That sort of a forced upon you relationship. How did that work for you? What, what was the uh, what did how, what was your takeaway from that experience? A uh, great question uh, because the, these were two women who had been doing it for years, so they had other Miss Americas. They had lots of stories, you know, from other Miss Americas, um, and both of them did a great job guiding me. It took me a few weeks, maybe two or three months yeah, maybe more months, to realize I didn't have my life, that they really controlled my life. And, but at the same time, I learned to value that they could be the bad guy. I didn't have to be the bad guy. So as I was learning that I had to treat everybody with respect, I had, if, if I needed to be the last person in the room, okay, but it was my chaperone's job to pull me away knowing that, you know what, it's now 1030 at night, she's got to get up at 5am, I've got to pull her out, right? So I never had to be the bad guy. And I learned to appreciate that so much. So was it, I your, really chaperone? Loved that. Was it your chaperone that said, Hey, you rolled your eyes? 
on that one situation? No, it was, it was a a person I didn't know. And she just wrote me a note and I'm grateful to her actually. Absolutely. She called me on it. I mean, feedback is another one of those fantastic leadership principles and getting that feedback probably Uh saved you a lot of embarrassment and heartache in the future, just because somebody cued you in and said, Hey, yeah, what I saw, and we don't mm-hmm. always see what we do because we're doing it right. Right, so, and you know I, what? I you are. That, that. I'm glad. I'm glad you raised that point because you're right. Feedback and especially quick feedback. Yeah. You know, I got I got it. That was like within a week that I got that because it was back in the old days when they had to mail something. Um, but now with my own team, I've realized that it's important for me to give them quick feedback, good and bad. You know. Right, right after something, wow, that was an amazing job. I liked how you organized that so well and, and it was quick. And then also, I mean, I, I had a couple of couple of my team members that were on a Teams call um, and they were both chewing gum and I could see the gum. And I'm like, okay, none of that. <laughs> I like gum, but you don't go on Teams meeting and chew. And so just things like that where you, you do have to call it out because I was so grateful for that. Yeah. And I'm sure that you've, it sounded like in those circumstances, you know, with, with the praise, it's great to do that feedback in public and with, with constructive, uh, you know, uh, criticism, it's great to do that in private. private. Uh, But but by the way, uh, one of the, I think the paramount and most important principles of feedback, besides actually giving it, uh, is uh, doing it as quickly and as close to the incident for which you're giving feedback as possible. By the way, there was a, you, you remember Arch Madsen from Bonneville International. So I, he was one of my mentors. He did a wonderful breakfast for the community. He invited, you know, probably the chamber members and things like that. And I just remember going to it and he had on the breakfast round tables. That was at the old hotel, Utah. And yeah. on the the tables was a box of Wheaties, and it said, "Feedback: The Breakfast of Champions." <laughs> and his whole <laughs> message, his whole message was on feedback. And I Love just thought, it. what a great message! I just, but I've used that for my whole career that feedback is the breakfast of champion that it, it really is. I so, love that. Yeah, okay. I'm going to have to use great, that. I'll borrow that. I'll attribute it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so Miss America, you did it. You banked some dollars. I didn't realize you could make right? like, that kind of money is Miss America. That's good for you. And uh, so, yeah, school was going to be a snap in terms of paying for that, but you right. were now a public face and you were a communications major. And then what? I didn't like being a public face. I went back to school and I wore my baseball hat everywhere, everywhere, just down low, ponytail, baseball hat. And because I still had two more years left at BYU. And so I changed my major to international relations. Um, I, I just... I, I didn't want anything to do with, with broadcast journalism. I didn't have a good experience. And, and then as I, and then KSL came, uh, called me and they wanted me to host an entertainment show, but I had been watching this new network ESPN 
and Gail Gardner on there. And I remember thinking as a tomboy, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I want to do sports. And so when KSL called me and wanting to do this entertainment show, I said, you know, uh, thank you, but I don't want to do entertainment. But if you have something in sports, let me know. And they called me the next week and said, would you do sideline football? And before I had a chance to actually think about what I was saying, I said, yes. And then, and then I got really nervous because I didn't know a thing about football. I'd grown up in, you know, Argentina where soccer was the thing, right? And football. I didn't know if I liked football either. <laughs> it's, it's football, you know. Football, yes. <laughs> so that was, and so then my whole mission uh, at BYU was to graduate. Okay, what's the fastest way that I can graduate? Because now I've got this job and I'm already in broadcast journalism. Might as well graduate in broadcast journalism. Um, but but the BYU professors did not like the fact that I was in sportscasting. They looked down on it. They did not think it was a real thing. And at the time, it really wasn't. Now, their whole program's around sports broadcasting, right? Uh, but at the time, that was not a thing. So um, that was a little difficult to get through that. And then straight from BYU, I went to ESPN. And that was so an adventure. You did, you did work at KSL while you were at BYU. I was, yep. So yeah. three seasons then, down there with yeah. KSL. Mm -hmm. And and then how, tell me how the connection, were the Rasmussen still at the ESPN when you went there? Because I, I was in the satellite communications business in those days, and I helped put ESPN on the air on satellite. Here he is. Yeah. So oh, my was, gosh. I know do, do, that story. Okay, here's, here's, the, here's the quiz for most people. What does ESPN actually stand for? Yeah, Entertainment go. and Sports Programming Network. That's it. But but you could ask a hundred people today, and they go, and they don't know. know. Yeah, because they didn't think that sports would would uh, be in demand twenty four seven. <laughs> so it had to be entertainment and sports. Well, I thought I I was more confident with ESPN than I was with CNN because when I was in Ted Turner's office saying, uh, yeah, we can provide you know all this backhaul satellite communication service to help you put a news channel on the air, yeah. I'm thinking these guys, they, you, you, nobody, there's no appetite for 24 hour news. <laughs> <laughs> no appetite. So that shows you how visionary I am. Right. Uh, I did have the vision to be in the satellite business, but oh my gosh. Yeah. Smart. So, so ESPN though, what a great place to yeah. really cut your and teeth on national broadcasting. No kidding. And when I got there, there were two big satellites, two. And that was it and two buildings. And then they put me there. We were growing pretty fast and they put me and my production team. I was hosting a show called Scholastic Sports America for two years. We were in a trailer out back and now the campus is huge. But um, but yeah, I was still learning, you know, as I look back on that experience. Oh, I wish I had gone to that level with a whole lot more experience because there were lots of opportunities I didn't take full advantage of because I just wasn't experienced enough. So, you know, in some ways it's good. You're just kind of thrown out there and you better perform. Um, but I did that seven years full-time on contract. And then at that time, you know, my kids are coming and stuff. So, um, so I left it full-time and did another nine years freelance. So things like Kentucky Derby or, or French open or something. So it was really fun that way. Yeah, it's fun because you got to travel and do something. But I like the yeah. idea that as a young woman in a career that was not known for women in that field, that you took a flyer, you took the risk and said, mm -hmm. I'm going. 
What? Tell me about how that decision making occurred. I had no idea. As I look back on it now, you're right. It 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 should have felt more of a risk. All I thought was, I get to go be part of some sports, yay! And I wasn't looking at it like, well, no other women are doing this. There's like three or four. <laughs> And no women were doing play-by-play. I hear that all the time now. I hear women doing play-by-play. Who was I just listening to? Um, um, Oh my gosh, I was just watching a a game Um, and it was all all men, but there was a woman. Oh, golf, golf, it was the masters. You know, and I'm like, wait, that's so awesome. You would not have heard that, right? So um, I didn't really understand the risks I was taking. Um, I felt like I could have done a whole lot better, but at the same time, I remember my first day at sports center and I walked in and, you know, the whole floor, all men, all men, all cubicles, everything. And it kind of quieted down when I walked in, I'm sure it was like walking into a locker room. You know, what do we say? There's a girl here. What do we, <laughs> and yeah. do we ha- do we actually have to watch what we say now? Right now? What? <laughs> That probably lasted for about 10 minutes. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, But you know what? Everybody I worked with at ESPN, I had the best experience from my bosses um, to my colleagues. They treated me with respect. And I I vividly remember one time when I didn't get treated with respect and four other guys jumped on that guy. And so it was really awesome to feel like I was protected everywhere. Um, Never once did I experience any kind of harassment. I mean, I'm there how many years and surrounded by guys and not not anything to do with harassment, not even a piece. So which is pretty amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. And I hope that that helped you with, you know, working with other women in organizations to say, hey, this can happen. It can happen where you aren't harassed and right. um, just having the courage to not accept it, I think is, is right. the other other side of it. And I'm sure you've been a great role model to many. Um, yeah. You started a family. Um, and in fact, our two youngest sons went to school together. So which was kind of fun. Played lacrosse, right. lacrosse, which I think is a great sport, by the way. Oh, and that uh, was my first exposure to lacrosse when those boys yeah, were me too. playing. Going, this is it brutal. was so great, though. I <laughs> love keeping the stats on it and doing it. It was yeah. so much fun. They won the state championship. Uh, Wasn't that so amazing? Like the greatest thing. It was so yeah. fun. Anyway, uh, enough about our boys. Um, but. <laughs> We can talk you about know, it. I, I mentioned at the very beginning that, uh, you know, the whole idea of leadership extends into personal leadership as well. It's not just, oh, I have a role in a business where I'm in a position of leadership. Uh, leadership really has a lot to do with who you are and who you become and how you comport yourself, but also how you set an example for your family, what you teach them, how you manage a household. In, in this world today. Uh, tell me a little bit about just sort of the experience of being a professional and being so visible and, you know, being in, in, a, uh, in a man's world in some of those uh, areas mm-hmm. and then being in your family and how you were able to navigate with children, especially, you know, those kinds of issues that they face every day. Uh, my, my poor kids. Because I brought everything, (laughs) 
that I had ever grown up with that everything is possible, right? So that's what I shared with them was that the world is open to you. Everything is possible. And, but they didn't grow up in exactly the same situation that I did where they're moving around, lots of different changes and stuff like that. Um, so I'm really proud of how my kids um, uh, accepted my form of teaching, which I'm sure as I compare notes with others was probably um, not, not traditional and not normal. Um, and I started off my poor oldest daughter uh, she was my experiment. I guess all of us have our experiment child, right? Yeah, first daughter. And, and you want the best for them, right? You want them to maximize every talent they've ever been given. And how do we know that? We don't know that, right? So I sit there and go, okay, I need to expose her to everything. So gymnastics, soccer, tennis, golf, you know, everything, uh, ballet, uh, violin. At one point, she was practicing the piano two hours a day and the violin one hour a day, and she was eight. And I'm like, I think this is probably crazy. And it wasn't until she was in seventh grade. I think that's when I had a big, big parenting lesson on me. She was in seventh grade and had tried out for the basketball team and it couldn't, she didn't have the stamina to get up and down the court. Um, she was growing pretty fast, but she hadn't done a lot in working out. And um, so she didn't make the team. And I said to her, you know, she was so good on the violin, so good on piano. And I said to her, how about we drop one of those, which just about killed me. And instead, use that time to work out. Use that time to, I had a treadmill, I had a Stairmaster. And you can watch all the TV you want when you're on that treadmill, when you're on that stairmaster, and that we switched that. You know, I had to let go of my dream of seeing her play the violin. That's the one that she decided to drop, and uh, just gave it up because I wanted her to a be fit, and b to be able to pursue some other dreams. The next year, she tried out for the basketball team, made the team. She was captain of the team, and ninth grade year was MVP of the basketball team. Oh, and awesome. I'm so glad that I bent because I, that's when I learned I, I really need to bend. And then I did some more bending it with was, other kids. <laughs> but it was, it was another pivot, wasn't it? It was, a, yeah. it was another time where you basically said, this isn't really serving the best interests of our organization. Right. Which in this case was your family. <laughs> My family. Uh, so so I like how, do how we, you look at that. How do we pivot that a little bit so that, you know, it's part of the servant leadership model too, right? It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. we want our employees or we want our family members to excel. We want them to do the best that they can do with what God's given them. And right. so it, it, the idea is not what we want so much, but what's in the best interest of the person. Right, and right. and what's going to be in the best interest of the person uh, usually is going to be in the best interest of the organization or the family. That's going to keep peace more. Right. People are going to be happier in the organization. They're going to same same issues will occur. So I I love the fact that because I have known others and I, we may have some guilt here. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> that you know you just push 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 until you know until they reach the age of majority and then they say okay now I can do what I want. We're done. <laughs> but, no, I really uh, like I how you framed that, that, Bruce. 
That was that was really well framed um, because that that helps me put that into context with what I did with my family, with what I'm doing in my job now with my own team of professionals. And I'm encouraging them now to do the same thing. I'm like, listen, my way may not be the right way. And um, my team, I love what my team does, but this may not be the best thing for you. Take a look at what's happening on the other side of the organization. And if you want to shadow them, that's okay. And then if you decide you like that better, I want that for you. So I've been learning how to bend like that too. I think that's so great. I, I know that when people would come to me and say, hey, I I have this other offer in a different department or in a different organization. And I was just saying, look, I said, here's the number one thing. Is this the best decision for you right. and your family? Because if you start with that premise, then if it's the best thing for you and your family, then you should probably move in that direction. And right. I'm going to be happy for you because that means maybe I did a pretty good job of helping you and mentoring you or guiding you and as one of my employees and now you get to do what you want to do and you're prepared for it better so you know i i kind of i kind of turn it around just so that i look i look good right (laughs) no i think that's that's exactly right what works best for you it's it's really about you know serving serving others um it's Mm -hmm. it's that interesting model of of leadership where the authoritarian model is, you know, so antiquated and and does so, not yeah. work long term. And no. uh, the idea that, you know, that Greenleaf talked about, which is in servant leadership, which is, you know, really finding ways to to serve those for whom you have a stewardship. And yeah. Uh, it's yeah, it's a great opportunity because it really serves the organization when you do that or the family in your case. there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> We've done some really interesting things with uh, the military, which, yes. first of all, I just think is awesome. I, it's been fun. Yeah, I've had some associations with Hill Air Force Base and uh, with the 388th Fighter Wing and that sort of thing. Good. But, uh, but Did you, you go have up been, in an F-16? Yeah. Oh, I haven't been up. They keep promising. But um, they're the F-35 pilots, so they're kind of like, well, you know, we're not really yeah. flying the F-16s. So I'll have not to anymore. To Las Vegas Unfortunately, to to I know, and I just found that out because I've been so removed that now they're just doing F-35s up there at Hill Air Force Base. That which is and those are cool. single seaters. Yeah. So that, yeah, they don't even not, have they, a two seater. Look, they wouldn't yeah. let Tom Cruise fly one by himself, and they're not going to let me. So, <laughs> but I and love I, the fact you want to. <laughs> I love the fact that you uh, again kind of went in your career direction. From sort of this very public in front of the camera position, you did obviously some of the things in your life, but the the idea that in a way you were able to serve those who serve us in the military. Mm. And I just thought that I've always admired that about your career path. Tell us a little bit about what you did, because you've had a number of different uh, opportunities to work with the military. I discovered I loved, I prefer being behind the camera. And I discovered that after I I backed up from ESPN, I went freelance. And during that time, I'm mostly at home. I went back up my master's degree in organizational communications because I wanted to get into business. And so the business that I got into, it was a, it was a, a technology company, but we were in the business of telling stories. And 
And we were able to start working with the military and it just grew from there to help them tell their story. And at first, because I knew nothing about the military other than I hadn't even been on base. And it was the 96th Regional Readiness Command right here in our own backyard in Utah, and then the Utah National Guard. And we started helping them to tell their story. They were busy being deployed in Iraq and Afghanistan. They didn't have time to put together why they served, why it mattered, all that stuff. And so we started putting it together and come to find out nobody's helping the military do that. So um, our, our company created a division called Remember My Service Productions, which I ran. And we started developing relationships with the National Guards all over the country. That grew into relationships with the Department of Defense. We continued working with military units all throughout the world, but it was, but it was our work with the Department of Defense with the um, uh, Desert Storm 25th commemoration, the Korean War 60th commemoration, the Vietnam 50th commemoration that enabled us to work with all 50 states, all the Veterans Affairs uh, offices in all 50 states to help recognize the veterans of each of those wars, but especially, you know, what really got me was the Vietnam veterans because of how they were treated coming home. I, I mean, I, I look back on the history of our country and that is one of the saddest moments of our history when we have people who didn't want to go to war come home and we treat them like, like dirt and lower than dirt because they served when they were called you know, and, and never again will we do that. We, we now separate the war from the warrior, which I, I love that our country has learned how to do that. But that became such a huge honor for 15 years. And for every month for 15 years, twice a month, I was, I was back at DC, either at the Pentagon or someplace really, you know, working with uh, our relationships back there. And it was such an honor to be able to put the spotlight on our veterans and on our military and do, show more about what they do. And you were telling stories, really, is what was going on, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, their history, stories. but yeah. it, but it was the history in the context of telling the story because that's what makes people care, yeah, right? Exactly. And the more you tell those stories, the more they're going to remember, and remembering is the best way to honor. So it was just a, a great position to be able to leverage my first career in television and production, everything, and leverage that and turn it into an opportunity to tell the story of our military. And you were basically an entrepreneur when you did that. Yeah. And that was a, kind of a new yeah. thing and putting it I referred to myself and... as an intrapreneur because yeah. it was in the context of this, this technology company founded by John Lund. And, and he just said, run with it. So it was really awesome to work for a boss who says, you know what? You're passionate about this. Go do it. You know, and there were lots of times when we didn't know if it was going to work, but he supported me. And that's something that I really learned about leadership was how important it is for a leader to have your back. And yeah, you've got to be accountable, but, but when the leader lets you run, oh my gosh, the stuff you can do. Yeah. That's such a great point. The, the idea of it's not, it does not have to be directed activity mm. and action does not need to be directed by the appointed or positioned positional leader. Uh, some of the right. best leadership occurs by those who don't have the title, but right. figure out things to do that actually move the organization forward or the program or the project forward. And uh, that's great. It's great that you had that entrepreneurial uh, opportunity. Uh, I had fabulous. one of those in my career too. And they're, they're awesome uh, to have yeah. people who's Arch Madsen was the guy who supported me in an oh, idea yeah. that didn't exist. And it was like, yeah, yeah. but he had the, he had a, he had a better vision than I did on it. 
And uh, it was like, <laughs> yeah, let's, we're, we're doing that. You know, I mean, that's how we got a, you know, we were the smallest broadcaster to ever have a satellite fed news feed from Washington, D.C. Because wow. Arch Madsen said, yeah, we're going to do that. We'll I, do it. Because I said, we could do this if you'd want. And I'm I'm like shy about it. Like, we could do that. <laughs> Maybe. And he's going, oh, no, we need to do this. Oh, so, isn't and, that great? But it was like. And it was like, go do it, go figure it out. And I, I love yeah. that uh, part of, of um, you know, I learned that leadership principle from him. I just thought it was a terrific yeah. thing. And sound Great like Tom Lund was back. the same for you and your in your yep. career there. Absolutely, um, had my back and encouraged and, yeah, pushed it forward. And now, not so much travel to Washington D.C. Uh, no, only like three or four times a year now. I know because it's like my my town, so I miss it. <laughs> I had an office there for ten years, so I get it. Yeah, you get it. Yeah, right. yeah. It's I. It's there's a couple of places in the world. In I'll just say in the United States, there are places in the world too. But in the United States, there's two places that still uh, hold me in awe. Uh, not hold me in awe. I hold them in awe. Uh, and and one of them is Washington D.C. Amen. And the other is New York City. And uh, yes. I, I had an office in both places for over 10 years. And I still would find myself sort of mouth agape, you know, looking right? at the buildings and walking through the streets. And uh -huh. in Washington, D.C., I'd love flying over the Potomac and seeing the monuments and just, uh, just right. It, it's unique. It's uh, like I Same. say, two places that from a man made objects standpoint, that those right. are the two cities that really uh have and for me, me i i'd add boston too i, just I love boston love what a great there. town yeah yeah well talk a little bit about your current leadership uh, responsibilities and, and anything else that uh, uh that kind of leads to that adventure in leadership in your life yeah first i love that you use the word adventures because it really is and i see everything the good the bad i see that all as adventure and Anytime that there's a challenge, I see it as an opportunity and that's another adventure. And um, so when I came back a couple of years ago from D.C., I was working in the Pentagon at that time. So pre-COVID, I had made the transition from the job that I was doing and I, I worked into a um, position at the, at the Pentagon. And then I came back here to Utah. And as I was looking at different opportunities this position with Mountain America Credit Union, which was which is one of the largest uh, credit unions in the country, we're now at 16 billion in assets and over a million in members, and we cover six states. And I'm looking at this opportunity, and it's a brand new one. Which going back to, I love being an entrepreneur or intrapreneur. I just love creating something new. And they said the CEO says we're gonna we're going to create a new position that's pulling PR. Um, into this position. Marketing used to have it, but now marketing was so big, they needed to focus on that. HR used to have organizational communications, so they wanted to pull it from there because HR was getting so big. So now it's this new PR and organizational communications. And I'm looking at everything on that job description. And for the first time in my life, and here I am in my late 50s, and I'm looking at it, I'm going, check, 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 check. Oh, so this is what it's like to be experienced. <laughs> <laughs> where it's like, I know how to do all of this. This is so fun. So it became less of an unknown. There's always unknowns anytime you start a thing, you know. But my entire career, going to ESPN, whatever, it's all been going to the Pentagon for the first time. Wow. <laughs> you know, what am I doing here, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
But so for the first time, it's like looking at that and going, oh, yeah, you know, I've done this before. And it's that's one of the benefits of getting older is you get to look back and go, yeah, I've got a lot of experience. <laughs> it's not you know, quite it's really so interesting starting something. It's really interesting. There's a book um, that um, uh, Brooks, I always forget his first name because there's oh, so Arthur? many books. Who are, Arthur Brooks. Arthur Brooks. Who wrote the yeah. Strength to Strength. Have you, have I you love read that. that book? I'm reading Wasn't it right it a now. Great book? And so book. what's great about it yes. is you just described what he said is that you've reached that second curve in your life. They call the crystal curve. Crystallized. Yeah. Crystallized and knowledge. Crystallized because it, you're taking now, now your wisdom. See, yes. now it's not so much. So now you have all this wisdom for the <laughs> things that you've had experience with and you're able to apply those in this position. I, it just, that immediately came to my mind because right. it was like, oh, that's exactly what you've just done. You, when you said check, 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 it was like, oh yeah, you now yeah. have accumulated the the experience that you have the wisdom aspect of your yeah. career yeah. ahead of you. And what a great opportunity so that fun. is to serve those you work with, uh, mm -hmm. to lead them in ways that are are so important. It, I think it's so important for the modern leader to really exemplify what that should mean to those right. who are coming up um because it, the, the definition of a leader i think is is changing and has changed pretty radically through my career i actually went through a textbook i because I, I teach uh as an adjunct in this this area, all right that that they we there was basically a a listing of the leadership styles over the last 30, 40 years. And it's like, okay, there's this many chapters, this many different, and, and how they've all sort of um, continued to evolve. And right. so it's it's interesting to see people still use some of the more antiquated versions. Um, I know, I still see that in, in action. And I sit there, I'm just so baffled. I'm like, have you not read a single book in the last few decades? Because I see that kind of leadership in action sometimes. And and I'm going, you know, that doesn't work, right? And yet they do it. Whether it's yelling, yelling at, at their their team or or continually putting them down in front of people. I mean, nobody does that anymore. You shouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> I take a deep breath uh, and uh, re regroup. Right? Uh, well, that's that's great that you have this uh, this opportunity to be in a position where it all sort of comes together and congratulations on that. So let me ask you um, a couple of things before we close here. One is, um, you know, what's your favorite beverage when you just want to relax uh, and just want to have that favorite beverage? Diet root beer. Really? Diet root beer? Which brand? Is it A&W? I'll take it, almost or? any brand, but it's usually their hires or A&W. It's whatever I kind of grab, but I'll, I'll grab a can of diet root beer. Um, although hires... Yeah, Hires has great diet root beer. You just like it at their Hires drive-in. Yeah. So good. And what were you asking? And then, do you ever have them put a scoop of ice cream in there? Yes. Isn't that I the love best? Those. I love root beer floats. <laughs> fantastic. So good, good choice. Good Thank choice. You. Thank uh, you. I was going to ask you what book you're reading currently. Uh, strengths to, from Strengths to Strengths is one from of strength them. Strengths to Strengths. Arthur Brooks. Yeah. 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 From strength to strength. That's right. Although in that, that book, he tells me that I'm, uh, he tells me as I'm reading the book that I'm already on the decline. 
So I'm reading that going, no, I'm not. Come oh, on. Keep going. Keep going because what it is, is it's you've, you've moved to the next uh, next curve, which is the wisdom curve. You'll get to that part. I do the like the really wisdom good. part. Well, I did. I did read that, but I still kind of hyper focus on the I'm on the decline part <laughs> on the innovation and hey, stuff. If no, you're I'm still on the innovating. Decline, I on. am in deep trouble. Yeah, that's great. What was the other what's the other most recent book you've read that you really uh, like? So I have about 20 books that I work on, which is sad because, you know, I got p books piled up on my nightstand and, and by my chair and stuff. But it depends on what I'm feeling at the moment. Um, there's a book that I just picked up and, and I can't remember where I got it, but it's fascinating because it covers psychology, psychiatry, neuroscience, and psychopharmaceuticals. And it's called uh, Varieties of Spiritual Experience. And it's, it piggybacks off a book that was written over a hundred years ago um, called Varieties of Religious Experience, but it's diving into, it takes an agnostic view of everything. So just the word spiritual is really more, you know, um, yeah, I, I don't know, it's a, real, yeah. a broad, it's, it's a non-religious view of everything, but it's fascinating because it's diving into the mind and the mind and the spirit and, and how it works together into everything. So I just started that one not too long ago. And that's, so those, those are the ones that have the bookmarks, the freshest bookmarks. <laughs> the whole, the whole idea of neuroscience and brain activity and releasing mm -hmm. of the different chemicals based on you know serotonin and and uh dopamine exactly. and all the all the different things it's it is so fascinating and yeah. it does help us understand uh, a lot of times in relationships what's happening and not that we all need yeah. to be psychiatrists or psychologists but uh there's a lot of a, a lot to learn from those sciences to help us understand what's happening so that we don't jump to conclusions uh, about a person's intent. You know, right. I, I think right. that, you know, a lot of people act out in ways that may not be their intention, uh, but they just mm -hmm. don't have the tools or haven't figured out how to, to use, you know, uh, some of the, the yeah. other um, methods of communication or, or, or action. So, well, that's good. That's uh, very interesting. Now, one last thing, and that is yeah. uh, LEAD, our company, uh, which is involved in leadership development. And we love to get people out of the conference room and into so smart. and adventurous uh, places. Yay. Is there any place that you would love to go to develop your leadership capacity uh, in, in an experience? So I'm very partial to biking, destination biking. So anything that involves a bike um, would be fabulous. I'm, I'm dying to do, and so, so be thinking of how you can combine, um, like Switzerland has put a lot of money into bike paths around their lakes. So I wanna do something like that. Um, I like those kinds of trips. I, I went to Abu Dhabi about three years ago and did the, uh, the longest and the highest um, zip line and and they had hired the same people that had put together at the time the Costa Rica, I think it was the Costa Rica zip line that was supposed to be the longest and everything. So that one's now the biggest one or the tallest one and the longest one. And it goes from two mountain peaks and it's all rocky desert. So you're going over like several thousand feet of nothing but rocks and stuff. And 
And as I'm flying over those rocks, I'm thinking, you know, this doesn't really serve me any purpose. <laughs> so things like that don't really get me going. <laughs> but the biking does. <laughs> the biking does because you bike for an hour and then you stop, you know, as a group. And then you can appreciate the historical impact of this castle or something. And then you bike for another hour, you get it all out, and then you sit and you eat and you can discuss something. And so for me, that's, I like that. That's a fun one. Well, there's a, there's a fun bike uh, experience uh, in Croatia along the Dalmatian Islands where you go from island to island to island. So that you would be cool. The islands and then bike the islands. And then bike. So. <gasps> yes. Yes. That's a Boy, fun one. Can you do so the we're same always thing looking like for a, new opportunities, yeah. right? And 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 I love things like if you were to do like a bike on Easter Island or oh you know, gosh. something like that, right? Where it's just yeah. crazy doing crazy things. Yeah. Or the Galapagos. Oh my god. We certainly will hike yeah, those like kinds that. of places. I don't know if they'll let us bike them, but uh, hiking would work too. So hiking, biking, whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah. Charlene, thank you so much for spending time with us today on adventures thank and leadership. You. Uh, it's always a delight to see you as so Likewise. happy for your success. Uh, love, uh, love seeing you in, in the various social media feeds as you do yeah. the public relations work for, <laughs> for MACU, uh, right? and Mountain America Credit Union. And, uh, <laughs> it's just you. always great to, to, to have you and, uh, we'll have to get you on one of our, our, uh, leadership development. Keep uh, me posted. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I love the concept, you know, when you use the word adventures and leadership, and now you can apply that to any kind of adventure worldwide and have those leadership trips worldwide. Oh, I would love to keep track of that, those things. Well, thank you again. Okay. And uh, for our audience, we'll see you next time on Adventures in Leadership. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Adventures in Leadership. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on the lessons and experiences gained from taking on the adventure of life and business and how it can inform your own leadership development. This has been a production of LEAD. We are a new kind of personal, team, and organizational leadership company dedicated to accompanying those who want evidence-based learning and education that activates development and growth to produce the results you want in life and in business. We are also dedicated to serving youth in a quest to minimize digital reliance, to provide outdoor activities, to do hard things, to serve others, and to put a little adventure in their lives. Check out our website at l-e-a-d.co to learn more about who we are and how we are serving.